here in the heart of the jungle, we find one of the most interesting creatures of its kind. Amazon PPC Advertising. Buried deep amongst the undergrowth with its campaigns and targeting, lay hazards like keywords without conversions, unprofitable ad spend, and a mountain of ever-evolving complexity. But if you look beyond the obstacles of life here, there is hope and opportunity. We will journey to every corner of Amazon ads to explore and share the greatest treasures the jungle has to offer. This is the Amazon PPC Den Podcast. What's going on, Badger Nation? Welcome to the PPC Den Podcast, your home for all things Amazon PPC, Amazon Advertising, and Amazon Pay-Per-Click. <laughs> uh, today, I am joined by my dear friend, longtime friend of the show from Ocean PPC, Stephen Knock. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Michael. It's good to be back. And you're, uh, you know, you're looking pretty good considering the fact that you're under the weather. I think you said you had a, a fever and everything. So, Ooh, but I got to do it for the fans. I got to come on yeah. the show. I got to get get it going for all the Michael listeners Erickson out there. Fasheen is a is a show up kind of man. He shows up. You know, easy way to be good at uh, anything. Say what you're gonna do, and then you just go do it. That's right. That's it. Just keep showing up, man. <laughs> um, also back on the show is this uh, fiddle leaf fig over your left shoulder. Look at that guy, still going strong. Gerald, I mean, uh, I have a brown thumb, probably one of the worst, <laughs> and this guy has just stuck, stuck, uh, yeah, stuck with it through and thick. What am I trying to say? Through, through thick and thin, yeah. Yes. <laughs> he stayed with me through thick and thin. Hardly one, water him. Yes, your number one buddy during quarantine. Yep, <laughs> he's still alive. That's great. I, I'd be curious to go back to earlier episodes. I mean, this is episode one, 184. Yeah. I've known for a while, I, but I mean... I think, he start, I think he first made an appearance around episode 90. Whoa, that's like 90 weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so it's so nice to have you back on the show. We have a little bit of an interesting format today. Normally with this show, there's a lot of prep work. Today, all we prepped were three very interesting questions to ask each other. And I'm excited to see where these questions go. So without further ado, let's jump to the first question. Alrighty, Steven, what's exciting you the most right now about Amazon PPC? You know, Mike, you sent me this question in advance to yeah. think about, to like hopefully have an answer ready to go. And I did think about it, but I couldn't think of anything because there were too many things that came up and I just didn't know which one to go with. Um, so, I mean, one thing that like, I mean, and this will speak to a very small, like very niche part of your listening audience, but the new bulk operations uh, Ooh, yeah. spreadsheets, I love them, man. That's it. Amazon, yeah, they did a they did a great thing with those with those bulk op sheets. They're so much better than the old ones. We, you know, several years ago when I was talking all about them, I was like complaining about them all the time. Yeah. Honestly, like my complaints are down now. 
So this is super interesting. So number one, I know how much you thought about this question because you were like texting me, which, oh man, these are like, these are, these are some good questions. But I think like out of all of that, bulk files made it to the top of the list. So I think, you know, it's so funny. I always tell people like, oh yeah, like we have a big podcast in the Amazon advertising space. And they're like, well, how many listeners do you get? Like, do you have over a million listeners? I was like, hell no, there's not a million Amazon people. So like to niche down yeah. even further, it's like e-commerce. So like B2B marketing, e-commerce marketing, Amazon e-commerce marketing, uh, Amazon PPC, and then just like go down even further about like only the people that like bulk files. Um, yeah. So I love how you called out that special selection of listeners here, uh, people that have used bulk files. So. Tell, tell me more. We know that they made some updates, but for you, like, how has that changed your workflow? Like, what what is different now that you now have this? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, overall, it's just made it easier, faster, simpler, less buggy. They patched a lot of things, but tell me about the bugs. Yeah. Let's let's go back in time and think about the bugs. Well, yeah, we'll go back and uh, not quite the bugs, but the way they would give you the data. Okay, well, yeah, we'll talk about the bugs, actually, because there's mm-hmm. one thing that I thought was hilarious that, um, yeah, it was back when I was in Austin um, one time. I think you were you were there with me, Mike, but we were, like, staying at the office, like, several hours after closing trying to get some bulk sheet uploaded. I was trying to increase the bid adjustments for, like, top of search, and I was trying to increase it, I think, by, like, 100% or something. And so I would upload 100%, and the file would register that 100% as 1%. And so then when you look at the actual campaign, it would say 1%, like the yes. way they were like, uh-huh. they, they, they were converting it to percentage like twice or uh, in like the process of it going up. So yeah, I mean, so that was super annoying. And finally, like we ended up finding out that you have to, after you type 100%, you have to convert the text cell data to string mm-hmm. so that it reads as like a text string. Because if it reads it as a percentage, it's going to upload it as one. So you have to type 100%, convert it to a text string, and then upload it as a text string. And if you don't do that, it's not going to work. And it's just so annoying. Awful. Yes. Uh, it's mind-blowing to... it was. It's mind-blowing. It's like one of the largest companies in the world. You're like trying to upload something and it just like spits out one. Uh, and like hidden, um, hidden formatting that like they don't even tell you about. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that was the other thing. Yeah, yeah. The help documentation or all the documentation, nothing, none of nothing. it was right. Yes, none of it was right. At least now, the with the new bulk sheets that they that they created, it's pretty good. The documentation's perfect. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. If you ever have an issue, those uh, those documentations are going to help you solve it. I was on. I was talking to someone recently, and it was like, oh, how should I do bulk files? And I'm like, honestly, the documentation will tell you everything you right. need to know. So I remember for the for the PPC den we had to create a whole like masterclass on bulk ops because it was necessary because if you didn't have the only way to learn how yeah. to do it was trial and error for like 10,000 hours. That's the only mm-hmm. way to get good at it. The there was no documentation anywhere. There was no blog posts. The Amazon official resources were useless. Yep. That was the only way. So part of me is kind of sad because it's like that that felt like a superpower that I had yeah. that cuz like nobody knew how to do it. But now it's like, it's pretty accessible. And honestly, it's better. It's better for everybody, but it does like, it, it definitely like allows the competition to now start to get better at doing the things that, that we used to do, so. Last question I have about this, the new bulk file updates. Um, how are you using, 
let's let's use that to actually segue into the second question here, which is um, what is something you do regularly and routinely that you feel like is very important to the optimization process? Would you say it's your usage of bulk files? I mean, what I do most routinely is just check in on things, right? Mm. I mean, it sounds pretty basic, but what, what I'm primarily looking at is, I mean, the for most clients, sales and ROAS, that's pretty much all they, they care about. Or sales and ACoS, like that's, that's the only thing. If those two figures are good, they're happy and your work is a lot simpler. You don't have to explain a lot more things, but if either one of those metrics starts struggling, then you've got a lot more of explaining to do a lot deeper, deeper dives and stuff. So, so I'm just trying to like grow sales and grow the row ads or decrease the, the ACOS or at least stay within the, you know, projected margins or goals. And, you know, I've been, I've become pretty convinced and I forget if like we've talked about this before on the podcast, but ROAS or ACOS is to me just a factor of two things, conversion rate and CPC. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty, I mean, or especially because, you know, Mike with, with, uh, you know, ad badgers bidding algorithm and everything like, you know, RPC revenue per click times target mm-hmm. ACOS at the end of the day, like your ROAS is really just your revenue per click divided by your, cost mm-hmm. per click. You know, that's all it is. You know, it's just revenue per click over cost per click because that's just, it's just revenue over cost if those clicks like, you know, cancel each other out. So that being said, I kind of, I kind of change revenue per click to conversion rate um, mentally, just in terms of like performance. Um, but conversion rate is just a way to kind of increase your revenue per click. So yeah, it's just conversion rate and CPCs. And those are the things I'm always monitoring. So on a daily basis, on any time frame I'm ever looking at, I never, you know, I always look at sales and ROAS, but then I'm also always looking at conversion rate and CPC. And to me, that's kind of just been like a, it feels like a silver bullet sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, if I can understand, you know, if ROAS is going down, that's because either my CPC is going up or my conversion rate is going down. It's going to be either one. And then once I figure that out, then I can I, I know where to look. If it's because CPCs went up and conversion rate stayed flat, okay, cool. Now I I have a much better idea of where I need to look at which which keywords are seeing, you know, CPCs rising with competition. You know, like it's like it, it really helps narrow everything down from just a performance perspective. So yeah, those are the things that I'm regularly doing. And then to as a long winded way of of kind of answering this question, what am I doing routinely about that? I was working with a friend and we kind of came up with a, a playbook, like an Amazon playbook, where we kind of gave a, it four scenarios for like where an account's health might be. Mm-hmm. And it's either um, your, spend is, your spend is too high and assuming you have a fixed budget, you know, the client gives you a fixed budget, your spend is high and you're below the ROAS goal or your spend is low and you're above the ROAS goal or your spend is high and you're above the ROAS goal or your spend is low and you're below the ROAS goal. So essentially just like a table, like a matrix of, of those four possible scenarios with whether you're over or under pacing on your spend goal and over or pacing on your ROAS or your revenue goal. And based on those four scenarios for an account, we came up with basically four different things that you wanna to do to, to get it back in line. And so um, whether that's bid adjustments, whether that's adding keywords or not, add, or, or adding more negative keywords, those are all the things that we've been kind of like doing and that's been that's been pretty effective so yes it's great to have those heuristics because you're absolutely right like it's always that right like we're either on course or off course for spend or on car on course or off course for a cause 
And then it's just classic, like, are we trying to pare it down and improve ACoS or are we trying to boost it up and scale? I have a question for you, What's Mike. Up? Say, say you're managing an account and uh, sales are through the roof. ROAS is awesome. Everything's looking fantastic. And it's been like 14 days since you made a, made a bid change or anything. You, you haven't touched it for like a couple of weeks. And you check in and things are going phenomenally. Do you make any changes? Okay. So this is a great, this is a great question. So number one, so like number one, I just need to preface this. I would never go two weeks without optimizing bids. Right. Yeah. But like in the scenario, let's say that's a great, so like, let's just say an account like landed on my desk, you know, it was being managed by Mm -hmm. somebody else and then it's just like, okay, now it's yours. So like, you don't know what's happened to it. That's a better example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) and like everything's going gangbusters, right? I think what you're describing is like a really interesting, well, let me just answer the question first. Do I do anything? Yes. However, I would definitely follow a, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. So like, I, I would easily look at like the things that are doing super duper well and then see if there's any room for scaling those things. So like, oh, this cure is doing so phenomenally. Can I like boost up the bid? You know, using the very classic, some kind of variation of like revenue per click is so strong. My target ACoS is way higher than the current ACoS, so I can afford to bid more aggressively. So like, I think I'd look for those opportunities to see if I can scale any scale anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd also look for new opportunities to like add new stuff to the campaign. So I would guess that, you know, they might not be running, you know, everything sponsored display has to offer or everything sponsored brands has to offer or some kind of new conquest type campaign where we're going after things that we haven't done before. So that's what I would assume might be happening there. But yeah, I think that's a great question. Like, what would you do? I I would probably agree with you. I kind of want to take like the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach. But at the same time, like there's always opportunity on the table. Yeah, I always think like people talk about uh, campaign structure a lot. Like, oh man, my campaign, I feel like it's coming up a lot more, which is good because a lot of people have bad campaign structure. But a lot of people Mm -hmm. have campaign structures that are bad, but their results are good. (laughs) And I think Mm -hmm. in a scenario like that, they're like, oh, I need to turn off this campaign and build a new one. And I'm like, hold Mm -hmm. on. (laughs) The only reason you ever need to like switch up campaign structure is if there's some kind of performance-based reason. Like maybe some of your products or keywords aren't getting impressions. So those would be split out into new, new things. Maybe you have a keyword that's really a winning keyword that should be broken out into a single keyword campaign then like go do that. But like just, yeah, changing up a whole bunch of stuff when it doesn't need to, I think is a, that's a, yeah, that's an amateur yeah. move. So Mike, let me flip those, those previous questions on sure. you. Uh, what are you most excited about right now in the Amazon PPC space? So the thing that I've been very excited about this over the last, like probably two, three months, and I'm still very excited. It's still my, most exciting favorite thing, which is the search query performance dashboard. Um, mm-hmm. Reason being, and in case anybody doesn't know, the search query performance dashboard, um, it's inside brand analytics, and you can go into it and it'll show you your top thousand search terms and it'll tell you, you know, how many impressions there were in total for this term it'll for you as well as everybody else it'll tell you how many clicks you got and how many clicks everybody else got and it will tell you how many orders you got compared to everybody else so i think that to have that real first party data 
directly from Amazon is huge. Like remember when we did a episode on brand analytics and we thought it was amazing. They were telling us like the, the positions one, two, three, like who gets the most clicks, who gets the biggest conversion share, mm-hmm. but it didn't tell you yours. So if you weren't in the top three, you know, you'd have to sort of guess, but now you do know yours and you do know like the sum of everybody else as well. The reason why I think this is so exciting is because it is our first real bridge into hey, if I bid more or bid less on a keyword, if I get more or asked another way, if I get more clicks or less clicks for a keyword, does that actually change my relative position in the market? And this is real first party data right from Amazon for that keyword on a per keyword basis. And I think that's amazing. So I think the, I think the thing yeah. that's coming up a lot you know, over the last like 12 months, CPCs have gone up a lot. Having more and more conversations about like per product based optimization, how much are we spending per product? And I think this opens up the door too to like how much are we spending per keyword? Like truly how profitable is a single keyword for us? And if I step on that gas on my PPC, like does that actually yield like a big fat extra result bonus for my overall sales that are coming from this particular keyword? So I really like that first party number one we get first party data uh number two we get to see how we're doing versus the competition for these searches and it helps bridge a paid organic gap and it lets you know like where your sort of aggressiveness level could or should be for any particular keyword so i think it's awesome does it also show you the conversion rates for those i want to say no the search terms i don't think so it's for some reason amazon like doesn't like to include conversion rates a lot of the time like I'm still in shock that in like the main just campaign manager, it doesn't show you the conversion rate for yes. each campaign. Could get you a, yeah. Or like. Gotta get you an Ad Badger account. Like, I know, right? Like you need that. But it's funny because like in a, if you download like a search report or, or a bulk sheet, like it will show you conversion rates. Or if you're looking at search terms within an ad group um, within the UI, it'll show you the conversion rate. So it's like, you know, Amazon has the data. They just don't include that column. So yeah, I mean, of course they do. It's not even a metric that gets tracked. It's like a calculated field. It's like orders and clicks. Like you calculate the field on the like live. Um, By the way, search query performance dashboard does not have conversion rate. Just looked it up. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that so weird? Embarrassing. I mean, there's, there's a whole, yeah. They do have, in the, um, I'm not sure if you've seen this yet, Mike, but that Amazon has like the account advertising account manager mm-hmm. dashboard, um, where you can see like you yes. have like multiple accounts or multiple clients in one view, and in that one they have purchase rate, but they don't have conversion rate. And purchase rate is orders divided by impressions, yeah, which is fine for display advertising, but you know for search that's a very different thing. Like purchase rate, conversion rate, yeah. Not the same I read thing. this PPC article like a decade ago from Brad Geddes, who, if nobody knows who Brad Geddes is, he's like, he's basically like, uh, I don't know me, but for Google ads, I'm kidding. But like, he's like a Google ads OG. Um, he's got a great book, advanced Google ads. And I've always wanted to write like an advanced Amazon ads. Anyway, he had this great post one time talking about like, it's all about profit per impression. And I was like, huh? And uh, he described it like your cost per click might vary, but like eventually it will get averaged. So like you can do profit per impression. And if you optimize for that, you get like the, the highest profitability. And I'm like, huh? 
And it's like, even to this day, it's like, well, unfortunately that's impossible to do in Amazon. <laughs> There's like yeah. too many, too many leaps yeah. that you have to do. And almost like you're, you're like holding a whole bunch of like, I guess dollars. Like imagine you were just holding some dollars in without a bag. And like, yeah. as you're trying to like take it somewhere to get processed, you're just dropping them all over the place. You can never do it on Amazon. Well, yeah. Also the majority of the impressions on Amazon are sure. like product page placements anyways, with that I personally find the least yeah. amount of value. And so we can get impressions there. Sure. But I, I'm usually like trying to focus on winning top of search and everything where there's fewer impressions, right? Like for any given search term, there's max four possible top of search impressions, but on a product page, you know, yeah. you've got like I'll have to do an episode. I need to like dig up this. I haven't thought of this post in such a long time, but yeah, profit per impression. It was an interesting thing. So like the profit per impression yeah. for product pages is going to be lower than top of search. Right. That kind of for interesting sure. thing. Um, so yeah, I think the search yeah. query performance dashboard is like an amazing glimpse into Amazon's first party data. I can't wait for them to put it into the API. So like you can log it, track it because it's a difficult to work with report, but like imagine you were able to just track this over time and like see it alongside PPC data. Epic. So like now it's kind of a manual process, but yeah, I think that's the most exciting thing right now. And then, so <laughs> the second question you asked me that I'm going to throw back at you, what is something that you regularly or routinely do that you feel is important in the optimization mm, process? I like this one. I think one thing that is uh, really valuable for people to do is to take your total ACOS value on a routine basis. And again, for those who don't know what total ACOS is, it's basically the ACOS of your entire account divided by the ACOS of all clicks with one order or more. So like a typical example might be, oh, my account has like a 50% ACOS, but if I only look at the things, only look at the clicks that got a conversion, I have a 25% ACOS. So in that case, 50 divided by 25 would be two. Uh, and then you can sort of say like, oh, is that a good number or a bad number? But I think that's an interesting one interesting. because if that's going up, what's up? What, what, I call what, it to, what do you call that? I call it the total. KPI? Oh, no. What did I call I just called it the total ACOS. No, no, no. I mean ACOS power ratio. Did I call it total ACOS uh, just now? Or the ACOS power uh, ratio? I mean. Oh, man. I forget what you said. But that, like, that's why I was asking again. <laughs> I'm going to like listen back it. to this episode. It's like gobbledygook. No, it's up all night with, up all night with a fever. Yeah, that's, no, that's super yes. interesting, though. Uh, yes, the ACOS power ratio. You can Google it and we, hey, if you Google it, it actually shows up on Google. We have like that spot. Uh, oh, it really? says an ideal range is 1.5 to 2.5. Um, because I think the reason why I think that's so valuable is like you're never going to have an account where you have clicks that have not, have all converted. Like there's always going to be some amount of non-converting spend. And the question is like, at what level is it too much? when that number creeps really high is when you can start to know. So like if you track that over time, I just think that's such an easy routine. And honestly, it's very connected to what you just mentioned too with your matrix where it's like spending too much, spending too little, A cost too high, A cost too low. It's almost the same thing because it's a representation of like, how much are we spending on non-converting things? How much are we spending on converting things? And if you're not spending enough on things that uh, are not converting, it could be an indication that like, you're not doing enough research. You're not trying enough things because 
you'll never have a hundred percent conversion rate, right? Like even if you were to only bid on things with a massive 20% conversion rate, that means 80% of your clicks aren't going to convert. And I think like knowing where the switch off point of like, Hey, this is too much, or Hey, this is too little, like, Hey, I'm not doing enough testing, or I should be doing more testing. Honestly, it's the exact same. It's almost the same gauge as what you were describing with your four quadrant matrix. This is uh, just another way to look at almost the same thing of like, are we aggressive enough? Are we not aggressive? So yeah, funny how we uh, came to that same conclusion. That's great. I like Uh, it. Repeat your matrix again. Uh, So on one column, and I also didn't even realize it was a matrix until on this, like on this recording. (laughs) Remember we took that that training? And the, tra- the trainer was like, everything you do, you got to call it a name. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This, this is the yeah. account overall health score matrix. PM. <laughs> you, there you go. Copyright. Yes. Ad Badger. Um, so you, on, you'd have spend here on like this side of the matrix. You'd have overpacing, underpacing based on yeah. your budget for the month. And then up here would be your ROAS and you'd be either above target, under target. And then you essentially come up with like four conditions and then yeah, there's something to do for each of those. Yes. We'll come back the, for another matrix. episode. Episode yeah, 200. Yeah. On the matrix. <laughs> yeah. Review that matrix. 184. What episode is this one? Episode 185. <laughs> yeah. Just um, yeah, exactly. I, I think uh, getting that pulse check and like, I think it's, it connects back to what you said too, where it's like, uh, if you don't plan time to like look holistically at how your account is doing, you're going to be missing the forest through the trees, right? Like if you're so zeroed in and you're like, oh, I have to do this very specific thing all the time. And you're not taking a step back and like looking at your overall spend trend and not just your spend trend in isolation, but like spend relative to your primary goal, which is usually ACOS or ROAS. When you connect those two things, you can get a holistic view, which will then inform like the kind of optimization that you do. So that's amazing. Let's switch to question three. Alrighty, Stephen. So we have the privilege of being able to see many different campaigns, many different accounts, and talk to many different people, hear their business philosophies and all these different things. Uh, so we get to learn a lot. The question I have for you is what do you wish that from talking to all of those clients, what do you wish maybe they all knew that maybe they didn't know, or maybe just one client knew and you're like, man, I wish all my clients knew about this thing. But what do you wish more clients knew about? Uh, I'd probably go with the, uh, the algorithm, like Mm. the ranking algorithm. You got to pay to play, you know, like you, you got to spend if you want to do better, um, organically. And unfortunately, there's no hard data to back that point, you know, so it always sounds like we're wearing these tinfoil hats and sitting around these conspiracy theory groups on, you know, Facebook advertisers or Facebook Amazon sellers or whatever. But everyone has the same shared experience. And um, a little side project I was doing earlier this year was I was across multiple accounts taking um I would create linear regression models, which I never took a stats class. I just like Googled what, what that was one day and like, I was like, oh, that seems interesting. I should, how do you, how do you define linear regression? Linear regression, I would say you take maybe here is spend on your X axis and on your Y axis is, is sales. And so you just have all your, and maybe you're looking for the past, you know, for the past two years or something, you're like, I want to see how much I spent a month and how much sales I made a month. 
um, and you just have all these different data points. And when you plot them out, you know, do they form a trend? Do they form? Do all those different dots kind of create a certain shape, or, or are they all kind of, you know, if it's if they're highly correlated, that your ad spend and your ad revenue are highly correlated, you should see that as your ad spend increases, your ad revenue increases up in a line, and then you can. It's really easy in Excel. That's the only reason why I was doing mm-hmm. this is because I didn't have to do the math. <laughs> I just dropped the ta- dropped the the data on a table and just told Excel to create a line uh, linear regression chart. Puts the the line on there and shows me the strength of the correlation, which is mm-hmm. on a scale from zero to one. One being perfectly correlated, zero being virtually no correlation. And and yeah, and so point being, there's a pretty strong correlation between ad revenue correlating with organic revenue that the more you make from from ads uh for in in driving revenue the better you're going to do on the organic side of things of growing that revenue and then obviously ad revenue to organic sorry ad revenue to ad spend is super super tight correlation assuming that you're spending properly you know the more you spend the more you're going to make uh assuming yeah your conversion Mm -hmm. rates and your cpcs don't change over that period it's going to be the same but all that to be said, yeah, I mean, like you see, like statistically, the data is there, and so that's what I've been trying to use with clients, especially. And this was interesting, Mike. We were looking at the ad revenue only on the non-branded terms to the total mm-hmm. revenue for a certain client. So just the non-branded search term revenue compared to the total revenue, and it had a pretty strong correlation of like zero point eight uh, on that scale of zero to one. And then we looked at brand defense, so all the revenue being driven from like the brand defense ads, the sponsored brand, the sponsored products, all that stuff. The correlation was zero point zero zero four. Sorry, say that again. And then my Sorry. my watch. Does she have I was any talking thoughts? To her. <laughs> uh, no, she just. She was like, <laughs> also, what that. is that? British? Okay, British like, Siri. British okay. Siri. I think so. Yeah. I always go Aussie for my assistance. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Make them sound smarter, or at least it's, I don't know. Uh, but point being, yeah, like if zero is the lowest you can possibly go for brand defense revenue and you know their kind of top line total revenue, the correlation was almost zero, 0.004, compared to 0.8 on the non-brand side of things. Pretty strong correlation between the revenue. If you can drive more revenue in you know non-branded search with paid you're going to find that your organic rankings in non-brand are starting to do better. You can't really improve organic ranking oh, on branded yeah. searches, right? Like you're already, you're already like fully, fully capped. And so there's, yeah. So, so that was kind of interesting. And that's what I've primarily been trying to push clients on lately because, you know, the A cost is a, is a bit higher on, uh, on non-brand compared to brand defense. And I'm trying to tell them, listen, the non-brand revenue that you're seeing, or sorry, the brand defense revenue that you're seeing isn't real. <laughs> you know, like, like if there's a very high likelihood that it would have happened anyways. Because like, if you're looking at, just look at your conquesting keywords. Like when you're con- conquesting a competitor, your click-through rates go down, your conversion rates go down. So if someone's conquesting you, they're going to be having extremely low click-through rates. They're going to be having extremely low conversion rates. And even if someone does click on one of those ads and does, you know, purchase their ad, uh, purchase a, a product from your competitor, was that even a mutually exclusive sale? Like, does that mean that you actually lost a sale or maybe they just bought from both of you because you both had something that they, they wanted, you know, and point being, yeah, brand defense is important. I'm not saying it's not important, but I, I just, it's think not a strong ranking strategy like, when someone just clicks on. 
Yeah, a lot of that revenue that, that's being reported on brand defense, I think, would have happened regardless. Like, I don't think 100% of those sales would have been lost if you weren't defending your brand. Because there's not going to be 100% click-through rate on competitors and 100% conversion rate on competitors bidding on your terms. So, I'm, brand defense is important. You should do it, absolutely. But I'm just trying to help my clients understand the importance of going after non-brand. I'm not even trying to focus on conquesting so much, as much as just really dominating the non-brand uh, category type keyword searches because that's where you see so much growth in performance and revenue and ROAS and all those um, things. So Very cool. Like that's, uh, how many, and how many clients did you do that with? Um, three. So it wasn't but the trend was the same totally exhaustive, but yeah, I, I mean, I did all kinds of linear regression stuff, but yeah, it was, yeah, pretty much around a uh, 0.8 and we had data going back like two, three years for all of them. So, so pretty good data sample size. Um, obviously there's some flaws in that correlation does not equate right. to causation, but there's a lot of other like theoretical stuff that kind of go into support the idea that like, because the more you, I mean, it's again, like the tinfoil hat stuff is like the better you convert on non-brand, the better your organic rank is going to be that, that paid to organic kind of harmonious relationships. Like that's all kind of been like the underpinning underlying theory that at least, at least it's, it's day and night between the correlation for branded revenue versus non-branded revenue. One of those seems to be having a pretty strong correlation and an impact on your top line. And the other one does not. So that at least seems pretty clear. And yeah, but I mean, it's not, yeah, it's a fallacy to say correlation is, uh, is like yeah. a guaranteed fact. I think it'd be so interesting to, to be able to do that on a per keyword basis as well. The thing, the thing that I think would be really for interesting sure. is like, yeah. and I, I think I've wanted to do this for a long time where it's like, okay, you plot out your sales by search term over the course of a year. So like you have 12 months of this data and then you have times where you got more paid orders on that search term. Did your organic ranking go up or hopefully using the search query performance dashboard, did your overall sales for that keyword go up if your paid sales went up for that keyword? I think that would be really interesting too. Same kind of thing. All right, Michael Erickson Fasheen, what do you wish um, more clients knew about? So this is pretty interesting. I think the first thing that comes up for me is like uh, who the right person should be, who they should hire or not hire for their PPC campaigns. I think the thing that mm. comes up for me that I see a lot of clients struggle with is they don't exactly know who to hire and then like what to tell them. And, um, you know, I think one thing that makes this a lot harder is how many bad marketers there are like bad service providers that poisoned the well because i just saw something that was like get a diy and no, i'm sorry done for you get a done for you agency so it was like hey do you want to start an e-commerce marketing agency just pay us and we'll create a marketing agency for you it's like we'll hire the salespeople and we'll build your website and we'll like fulfill it and we'll sell it like literally that was a real thing so like there's no way this was like a uh instagram ad and I saw someone talking about it. They're like, man, no wonder there's so many low quality agencies out there because now it can come to a point where you can get someone who knows nothing about the craft and like doesn't really care enough to like grow an agency. And like, you can just like, 
outsource the sales process, outsource the call setters, outsource like the service, outsource everything. And like, you're just sitting there like paying for it. it blows my mind. So like, I think a lot of bad providers poison the well. So I think like being able to discern who's a good provider or a bad provider, um, I think that would be really helpful. But I think an even more important thing is just like who to hire and when. So like, I think the options are like they either do it themselves they bring someone in-house to do it for them as like an in-house marketer. They hire an agency or they hire a freelancer. And I think like knowing what stage of the company the brand is in in order to make the right decision is really valuable. Uh, and I'll give like a quick summary of it. It's like, well, if, you, if the founder or whoever is running the company, assuming the company is like maybe on the smaller side, but like, I don't think it's bad or wrong for the founder to be in charge of growth marketing and like PPC at their Amazon brand. It's like, if they have a strong passion for it, they really enjoy it. You know, that could be a good source of like enjoyment for them. Like, wow, they actually like doing it and they're saving money. They don't have to pay for someone to do it. Pretty cool. I think also that person who like really enjoys it may benefit from hiring someone in house to have somebody really close to them to collaborate with and like, tell them basically how they want to get it done. Um, and maybe that in-house person can do a lot of different things for them uh, aside from PPC so they can get a lot of time back. I think where sometimes people have, str- to have trouble with is like they're that person, they like doing it, and then they hire like a freelancer or an agency and expect them to act like an employee where, you know, I think if somebody's an employee, like you can work on the SOP together with them but if you're hiring like a freelancer or an agency, it's like you would hope that like you're paying for their SOP based experience. Like you are hoping that you're plugging into a system that's far greater than what you could potentially have yourself. And there's still some collaboration there. But I think like sometimes I'll talk to clients that, you know, will show that that are coming to me. They're like, oh, man, my last agency was no good. And uh, well, why didn't do it? why do you think it not worked? Well, they never did what I told them. I was like, well, okay, what did you tell them? And like they would send me like a twenty-five page document about exactly what they wanted them to do. And it's like, well, you know, that seems like a tough relationship. So like really knowing how to get the most from like the people around you, I think is like a truly great skill. And I think that would benefit a lot of sellers. Have you ever bumped into stuff like that? Yeah. Um. Not you, really, you only to got be honest. A, a but, plus clients? Um, I have had, no, I mean, well, I've had I've had on the side where uh, the client brings on someone else in-house who has a little bit of experience in PPC, and so they just start dictating the strategy. And then that's also, that's a very difficult situation, especially when it's like, you know, a, a big ticket client because it's like, what they're telling you to do, like you disagree with. And unfortunately in, in the PPC space, you know, there's a lot of different schools of thought, you know, there's no, yeah, the two like different schools are the right way all. and the wrong way, you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, and I'd actually texted you about this, Mike, like the difference between like, you know, I've always been a big proponent of single products, ad groups. Um, but you know, this one client in particular wanted to do single product campaigns uh, where I did not see that that would lead to any difference in performance, be- unless if we wanted to budget individually for each individual product, uh, this account of which has like almost 2000 products. So unless we wanted to find different budgets for every individual product, 
you know, I didn't really see that being beneficial or having different placements for top of search for every individual product. I just didn't see that being a, a very beneficial like structure for the, for the whole account. And it was just going to make everything a bit more cumbersome and difficult to navigate, um, slower to quickly report or quickly diagnose problems, all those things. But, mm -hmm. you know, at the same time, the client's kind of the boss. <laughs> so, you know, we pushed back a little bit, try to present our POV and defend, you know, our tactics that we've stuck, that we've done for the client for the past year that have done very well for the client over the past year, grown their sales from, I mean, they did like 230 million last year. And uh, this year they were seeing 30% year over year growth already. And then within the past couple months, client brought on this new guy in-house who's, who's now wanting us to like change the whole strategy and everything. We're like, yeah, yeah. Wasn't a big fan of, of that, but we're doing it, you know, because yeah, at the end of the day, like, tough. they signed the paycheck. I always think, so. like, you know, in a perfect world, like, the best idea always wins, right? And, like, unfortunately, it's, like, that's not the way the world works. Um, but, yeah. It, and we were fine for, for, for just to kind of conclude where that, to resolve that story. We were fine doing that because we didn't think that was going to be bad for performance. Like, it's not going to hurt performance to do that. So we are doing it. I just... I don't think it's helped it. Right, right. Just, just sometimes Sorry, like, I, I sometimes feel like something might be read somewhere. And like, that's another thing too. Like, this is another thing I wish more people knew. It's like, I've, this is since like day one on this podcast, I've always tried to like, never say like, this is the way that you absolutely must do it every single time. Because it's like, there's a lot of nuance of like, you know, the kind of company that it is. Maybe it has a ton of branded traffic. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a novel product that people have never heard of before, or maybe it's a commodity. Uh, maybe it's launched, you know, their brand new company in the first six months, first year, and maybe they're like a five-year-old company. So like just those factors aren't even PPC factors. And like, then you get into maybe they have five SKUs or maybe they have 500 or 5,000 or 50,000. We've worked on accounts with tens of thousands of SKUs. And it's like all of those considerations would change, you know, any sort of hard and fast box that, that you would need to live in. So like that, that's a big right. one too, like having the mental sure. flexibility. And I think a reason why a lot of people don't have that is because like, it's very tempting to think that there's just like one ultimate way that every single thing should be done every single time. And it's like, well, you really have to make a lot of like these sort of gray area decisions. It's tough. It's tricky. Yes. Yep. So Stephen, we've yep. done it. Three, see, look at that. That was super interesting. Three interesting questions. Lots of good, interesting, insightful Amazon ads talk. It's right always interesting talking with you, Mike. At you. So let the good people know out there in Badger Nation where they can find you. Plug yourself. Your link. You your LinkedIn. On, uh, on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Yeah, my LinkedIn <laughs> is not updated, but <laughs> you, that's probably what just would the Gary Vaynerchuk say me. about you not having um, an updated LinkedIn. Oh, he would, he would, he'd be like, <laughs> yes, exactly. What are you doing, bro? Just like, bro, you need to focus on one thing, quantity, if you, quality yeah. will come later. Uh, yeah. I saw, so, yeah. no, his voice is yeah. squeaky. There's than that, like, re there's really good Gary Vaynerchuk impersonators out there. Good stuff. Um, oh, I know. I love it. Yeah. LinkedIn, Stephen Knox, Stephen with a PH. As Knock, in like, uh, Stephen, the knock, knock. Ness monster. Anyone ever call you that? That's right. Do you wish that more people no, did? That was the first. Well, right on. I do. I do. Yeah. 
If you if you send me a LinkedIn message with calling me the Knockness monster, um, I will 100 respond. Well, sir, it's always <laughs> it's a privilege. Good to get my attention. Uh, can't wait. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Can't wait to have you on again in a couple of months because uh, it's always a privilege checking in, checking up, and uh, resyncing. Stephen, have a good one. And for everyone else, I'll see you next time here on the PPC Den Podcast. <laughs>